So many things have ruined my childhood So I go online to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus Fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Predators, uh-huh, uh-huh. Marvel, Maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Hello everyone and welcome to our very first episode of This Podcast Ruined My Childhood. I'm Phil Durasmo and with me, as always, is Eric Walensky. Say hello to the fine folks, Eric. Hello, fine folks. It's Eric Walensky, here to talk movies and pop culture that ruined your childhood. Yes, and we are starting off with a bang with the one that started it all. Star Wars, the prequel era films. We'll start right away by talking about The Phantom Menace and how that movie spurned the phrase, this ruined my childhood. So, In 1999, George Lucas uh, gave us, he birthed us, this new prequel saga. Three films that would make up the prequel era movies that told the story of Anakin Skywalker's fall. Because, of course, that's something everyone was asking for, uh, for years. And it was something that we as fans never thought we'd get to see. We We had three Star Wars movies, we then had books and comics, but we never thought we'd see any more films. And the the buzz, the excitement for the Phantom Menace was a fever pitch. It was it was more excited for a film than I had ever been in my life. I don't know about you, Eric, but I'm going to guess probably the same. I went out of my way not to learn anything about the Phantom Menace before it came out. I didn't I didn't read reviews. I didn't watch trailers. I didn't listen to people when they were talking about it. I didn't read magazines. I didn't want to know anything about it. Now, that being said, there was a little bit of merch floating around out there, and I knew the basics about it because you couldn't avoid it back then. It was it was everywhere. I went out of my way, though, to learn nothing about it, and then I went into a records and tape store about a week before it was supposed to be released, and I saw the soundtrack <laughs> sitting there. And I picked it up, and I was like, oh, neat. And I flipped it over, and my eyes immediately went to track 12, The Death of Qui-Gon Jinn. I was like, son of a gun. And I was like, I went out of my way to learn nothing. And I ended up finding out a major plot point. Oh, spoiler alert. Sorry, I didn't say that before to anybody (laughs) who hasn't seen Phantom Menace yet. Spoiler alert. Uh, I might not Mm -hmm. have ruined your childhood, but I might have ruined The Phantom Menace for you. So, yeah, well, I think with it being 20, how many years old, 22 years old, 21 years old, yeah. I think it's okay. Statute of limitations. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. So it's interesting. I, I, did, I was very opposite end of the spectrum. I wanted to know as much as I possibly could. Um, I, I watched all the trailers. I had the Entertainment Weekly that had um, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn on the cover, you know, Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor. Um, I was so excited for this movie that I tried to gobble it all up, but same thing happened for me 
with the the soundtrack. I didn't want to know that much. I didn't want major plot points ruined. I just wanted to see what the trailers looked like, what the sword, you know, the lightsaber sword play looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really excited to see all of that so that when I went to the theater, I like I knew what I was in store for and was really excited about it. But same thing, I am a score whore. And I love movie <laughs> scores. I listen to movie scores to when I'm working. Like when I want to get in the zone at work at my desk, I will put on like best of John Williams or best of Hans Zimmer or, you know, whoever it might be that I'm thinking about at the time and just get lost in the music while I'm working. And so I picked up the score and I was like, oh man, John Williams made another Star Wars score. I can't wait to listen to this. And I flipped it over and the same thing. I read every track and got to that bottom one not realizing I was ruining it for myself until track 12. I didn't even read all of them. It's like my eyes just went right to it. <laughs> Death of Quite And I dropped it right then because I'm like, ah, I don't want to know anymore. But at that point, I'd already pretty much read the most major, mm-hmm. you know, for that sure. movie anyway. Um, sure. You mentioned you mentioned gobbling it up. Uh, now, I will say I did do that. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell all had a toy series. And uh, I did I remember that I did gobble them up and I went mm-hmm. to each one of those restaurants every week to get some food and to get those toys. And uh, if you remember, Phil, one side of the box had the picture of the toy inside. The other side of the box was part of a mural. And you put the yep. Pizza Hut side together, the Kentucky Fried Chicken and the Taco Bell, um, which trivia Pizza Hut was Coruscant, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm-hmm. Naboo and uh, Taco Bell was Tatooine. You put them all together, they made this really neat picture for the Phantom Menace. It's the only Phantom Menace piece of, piece of merchandise I still have left. I had <laughs> wow. I had tons of stuff back then, and that's that's mm-hmm. the only thing that I still have left is is that because I I felt like I earned it with my calories. Sure, sure. I remember the Pizza Hut because that's all that. I I would get when I was younger. My parents uh, wouldn't. We wouldn't go to Taco Bell, so I didn't really know about Taco Bell until I moved to Florida in 2001, and then I became a Taco Bell uh, aficionado, and I still eat it probably once every other week now. Um, and KFC wasn't big. I didn't love KFC chicken, which you know now I'll take a popcorn chicken any day. But really, everything else I'm not a big fan of. But Pizza Hut, man, we would go. One, my family would go once a week to Pizza Hut. And that was like our our night eating out as a family. Uh, we'd go, I, as I mentioned in the last, our episode zero, I'm from New York. And so we'd go across the border to Connecticut, you know, jump in the border, and we'd go to the Pizza Hut that was closest to our house in Danbury, Connecticut, um, right by the they mall didn't have, over there. They didn't have Pizza Hut in New York? You had to go across the border for that? Uh, they were just far away. We lived in like a, a pretty remote part of lower New York. Uh, a lot of people in New York City call our area upstate because we're in the northern part of Westchester County, even though there's nine more hours north in New York, but it's called upstate New York. And there just wasn't a lot near us. So we would have to go to the next major city by us, which was Danbury, Connecticut. And it was about a 15-minute drive. We got Pizza Hut every week, and I collected all of those Star Wars toys from Pizza Hut. We used to have to go to Indiana for pancakes. Ooh. Yeah, they don't make pancakes in Michigan. I did know that trivia in Michigan. <laughs> so here we are, 1999, <laughs> this movie ready to just burst at the seams. Everybody's so excited. They can't wait. Anybody who remembers Star Wars is on the edge of their seat. 
anybody who might have been old enough to hear about Star Wars is curious beyond belief. And then the movie drops. And I remember sitting in the theater with my mom. The credits roll. She turns to me and says, well? And I just shook my head and said, that wasn't Star Wars. That was my first impression on seeing The Phantom Menace. It did hmm. not feel like Star Wars to me. Yeah. I, I will say, for me, it was saber porn. I looked past a whole lot of bad because I loved Darth Maul and Obi-Wan's fight at the end. And, and Qui-Gon's fight at the end. But when Obi-Wan comes out uh, between the plasma shield thing that's blocking him, and he and Darth Maul have that quick battle, that made the whole movie for me. I, I loved it in that moment just because of that fight. And then upon rewatch after rewatch, I think I went to the theaters one more time to see it. And I still, I, I, I remember feeling more let down the second time. And then when I got it on DVD or a home video, you know, whichever one I got VHS, whichever one I got back in 2000 when it came out, I remember watching it again. The first time I watched it at home, I said, this is a bad movie. Mm-hmm. And that's when it really clicked that this wasn't what I hoped it would be. And, you know, the Internet wasn't as prominent as it is today. There wasn't really any social media back then. MySpace wasn't even invented until 2003. So it wasn't like people were going on MySpace to blow up the movie. It, it just was a different world. And so I wasn't I didn't really know that people hated it until I started to not like it. And then I went to college and people there didn't like it. And I started finding more and more out. And then I was doing more online searches about Star Wars as we were getting ready for the next one in 2002. And I was like, wow, people really hated The Phantom Menace. What would you say if you had to point at one thing? I have one thing that I would point at. I mean, I have lots of problems with the film, but uh, I have one specific thing I would point. What, what would you point at as the one thing the movie did wrong that that just from the from the starting gates because of that one thing it was not yeah, um, that's that's a really good question i will say that you know george lucas himself to to kind of deviate and then come back to the question uh it, it felt to me and i guess maybe i'm answering the question all at, at once but it felt to me like george lucas was making a spectacle just because he had the technology to do it and that's part of the problem i have it's there's, there's a lot of beautiful cityscapes with CGI. There's a lot of beautiful countryside with CGI. There's a complete CGI character that looks pretty good, especially now. I mean, he's, Jar Jar still looks good, but he's just an annoying character. And the cityscapes are there just to be pretty. They don't further the story. And the whole point of this film is really a, a, a political battle about trade blockades. You know, it's it's very odd that he would have made that the focal point of the conflict that starts Darth Vader's fall, you know, Anakin Skywalker's fall. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think, I think the hardest part is not only the, the bad acting from one such as Jake Lloyd, he, even though the kid, I can't, can't really say he's default, you know, George Lucas directed this movie and he's kind of default, but um, there was just bad dialogue, bad acting, and then these, this CGI for the sake of CGI that didn't further the storyline. 
See, I think the one thing that just started this all off on the wrong foot was starting Anakin as a nine-year-old. I think, I, I think that just went too young because the first thing I thought when we saw Anakin as a small child was, wait a minute, how much time is going to have to pass for him to become Darth Vader? Because you're already up against a major challenge with a movie like The Phantom Menace. While there wasn't a lot of uh, pre-literature about Star Wars at this point. There was lots of post literature, lots of right. post Return of the Jedi novels and everything, but nobody had really dove into what had happened first. And Which, for, not to jump in, but that was on purpose. George Lucas said they couldn't touch it because he always wanted to go back and make the prequels. Correct, right? And that that was on purpose. But that being said, there was this whole complete perfect patch of snow that had not been tracked through yet. So you could have done anything at this point. But that anything still has to end, or begin rather, with A New Hope. So Mm -hmm. I think starting Anakin so young, and then having to have a second actor come in as the older Anakin, I think you would have been better served to have an older Anakin, a 14-year-old Anakin, uh, still Mm -hmm. young enough to have such power within him and have no way to use it, but making him older would have given a little more adult perspective. He was upset about being a slave. He was upset that his mom was a slave. And he would have loved to have changed that. Anakin, as the nine-year-old, didn't really make a choice to change that as much as he was one in a pod racing game. And it was like, hey, nine-year-old kid, do you want to go off and be a Jedi? Sure. He doesn't know what he's doing. I think the audience could have been more empathetic for the situation and would have had more feelings towards an older child who mm-hmm. all of us adults recognizing the folly of a 14-year-old going, I'm going to change the world. Heck, yes, I'm leaving this planet. I'll be back, Mom. I'm going to be a Jedi. It yeah. seemed to me to just take it in a completely different direction to to start Anakin so young and, and then change, right. change actors. You're right. And then the... Th- if, if you were to film these movies as they did three years apart, the 14-year-old could have grown to 17 and then 20, and it would have made sense, right, to see mm-hmm. them grow and fall mm-hmm. rather than change the actor and have 10 years of time lapse. And that is the thing, too. They By skipping so much time, a lot of the prequels, and this just goes to poor storytelling, which is why, again, I don't feel any of this ruined my childhood because I still feel like the core movies were not affected by the prequels as much as I would say they're a little more affected now by the episode seven, eight, nine, which we'll get into some other time. I think the biggest problem with episodes one, two, and three ultimately is there's too much telling about what happened and there was not enough showing what happened just to start even with Star Wars. Obi-Wan gives Luke a little background where he says, "Oh yeah, you're, you know, he betrayed and murdered your father." <laughs> and mm-hmm. and sure, you know, we can get into a certain point of view and all of that. But the point is, yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, "Oh, what happened to my dad?" 
because obviously I'm living with my aunt and uncle. Can somebody explain that for me? And here's a little dialogue about it and move on. And then we actually get that question answered in the next film. So it's okay if you're going to give a little background about a character, but it seemed like Anakin and Obi-Wan had more, oh, you saved me from this. Oh, I saved you from that. Well, that's not the way I remember it. Stories Mm -hmm. between each other telling us about this incredible relationship they had as Master and Padawan, but we never see any of that. All we see is them, you know, bickering with one another. Mm -hmm. And it it just, to me, seemed like one of the things in in storytelling is you don't want to tell somebody. You want to show somebody. Let's have more action and less dialogue. Something that really doesn't sit right with me, going back to how this movie ruined people's childhoods, is the vitriol that poor Ahmed Best had to deal with for playing Jar Jar Binks. This guy was cast in a movie. He was cast by George Lucas uh, and whoever the casting director was to play a character, and he was directed by George Lucas to do this voice, to do this action to just be this character. And if you're looking at it from a pure acting standpoint, Ahmed Best did an amazing job to be the character that George Lucas wanted on screen. And the poor guy got death threats. He got um, he got people talking about how terrible he was. The film, the role was, in his mind, probably his huge breakout. And it turned into a career-ending role that was in three movies and a couple episodes of The Clone Wars. And the poor guy now just goes and he travels the circuit for Star Wars conventions. But, you know, people don't like him. And it's really sad. And Jake Lloyd, too, the poor kid, has grown up to be, he's gotten in a lot of trouble. He's went to jail. Like, the poor guy. The movie ruined him and his career. And it's just really sad to see that the hate that the movie got from fans turned those people's careers and lives into what they've become. So what you're saying is Jake Lloyd is really the only person who can say the Phantom Menace ruined my childhood. Jake Lloyd quit acting in 2001 because of bullies at school and the press. And now he's been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. The Phantom Menace actually ruined his life. It's 2020. This movie's been out since 1999. We got 21 years of people having voiced their opinion about this and that and what worked, what didn't. Um, I just want to add a couple more points on that pile. Not that they need to be out there, but I think there are things that I just never heard expressed because I do think everybody went right to the death threats and nobody decided to just give Lucas some constructive criticism about, hey man, here's how you could have made your story better. Like you said, it wasn't Ahmed Best's fault. It wasn't Jake Lloyd's fault. And and to an extent, I wouldn't even say it's George Lucas's fault, but he was the guy who wrote it. And he did come up with midi-chlorians. Midi-chlorians. It was supposed to explain why Anakin was as powerful as he was, and it was a concept that did not exist in the original trilogy. And while there's nothing wrong with adding something new to the new properties, it it did a lot to confuse people familiar with the force already. If, if you're going to, if you're going to quote Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, the force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an 
energy surrounds field us. surrounds us, binds penetrates us, us, penetrates us. I'll do my best Alec Guinness impression. Exactly. It binds the galaxy together? Yes. Binds the galaxy together. Yoda says the same thing in Empire. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we. All of that made the Force seem like a thing that was out there. And then when they throw in midi-chlorians, bacteria <laughs> in your blood that gives you the ability to control something that's everywhere, it, it sort of backtracked a little bit of what we'd all been told. And, and again, I don't think there's wrong with adding anything new on top of, but you got to kind of treat this like an improv game where you kind of have to say yes and and go right. with what you're already right. given. Uh, the, the Phantom Menace was the world's worst game of improv. <laughs> it's like the force is everywhere. It surrounds us and it binds us and it's a great ally. Yes, and <laughs> and it's bacteria in your blood. Who let this guy in the improv class? <laughs> Another thing to talk about, um, about George Lucas himself, is that he gave Disney his treatments for scripts to follow – uh, when they were going to make the next series of movies, the post uh, saga. And one of the scripts, or multiple of the scripts, there was uh, an adventure in the midi-chlorian verse. I don't know if you knew that or had heard that, but... Now that you say that, I did I did hear about that, yes. They were yeah. supposed to like shrink down or go into a weird, small world yeah. of... I, yeah. Which, seeing the midi-chlorian world, I might have been so upset, I might not be doing this for fun and might actually be saying that ruined my childhood. Well, it's interesting because we keep using the word childhood, and Lucas said he was making films for kids. I don't think when he made Star Wars, he was making films for kids. He was filling a hole. He was providing a, a fantasy adventure in a world that people didn't even know they needed or wanted yet. He, he was ahead of his time for that. Star Wars is just the, the, the benchmark. When it comes to sci-fi, and that came along in 77, there was nothing like it at the time. Lucas wasn't making a film for a kid back then. He was a kid. He was 22, 25 years old, somewhere in that range. And he he was making a film that he believed in, and, and it appealed to, you know, children. But on the other hand, it, it wasn't it, made for It truly for was like 14 children. to 30-year-olds, you know, that the movie was going to – or 14 to 25-year-olds that it was going to be intended for. And it blew up, and everybody realized that they needed that in their life, something like that. You know, they, the Star Trek had been out on TV, but a serialized space opera was something that nobody had seen on film. And him making that just was, uh, so, you know, was revolutionary, like you said. But the prequels, and, and we can get more into Attack of the Clones and, um, and Revenge of the Sith now, too. But making those and politicizing them so deeply... I think really hurt a lot of um, the storytelling value as well. Well, it seems contradictory to say you're making a film for kids, but you're making it so dull in parts about space politics that it it wasn't entertaining on that level. And, and, and I think I think I think that went out the window with the Jar Jar Binks, where it's like, yeah, he's supposed to be a fun, entertaining character, and I think Lucas is quoted as saying, "My my kids laughed at it." I think that misses what Star Wars had become in a lot of people's minds, whether Lucas wanted it to or not. In the improv game of Phantom Menace, he just went off in a new direction. And again, there's nothing wrong with the new ideas, but I think you still have to be a little 
more true to your source material. You've got to be more true to your handoff. Yeah. It was a complicated beginning. You had a trade federation you'd never heard of. You had a new race of characters called Gungans you'd never heard of. Then you were on a planet, Naboo, which apparently has two sides mm-hmm. to it. One side right. is the water people, Gungans. The other side is the human people. And then you had to escape and go to yet another planet, albeit a familiar one, and then learn about <laughs> pod racing and slaves, and which are all concepts that never had anything to do with Star Wars in the first place. To go by the letter of storytelling, you weren't even following a main character at that point. You were just following people, bumping into people, or aliens bumping into aliens, and nobody was the central person. Who were you supposed to be following? And even once they find Anakin, there's still no direction. It's a rudderless film. Lucas wanted to pull the psycho bait and switch in this series. He wanted you to fall in love with your main character, like Janet Lee in Psycho. And then, as in Psycho, Janet Lee is killed off in the first third of the movie. At the end of the first act, she's killed by Mother. In this saga of films that he was making, that he had plotted out and was writing all three of them at the same time, he wanted you to follow Qui-Gon Jinn, and then boom, at the end of the movie, Qui-Gon is dead. And so the next movie, you're going to have to shift focus and shift gears and see... Obi-Wan as the main character and Anakin as the main character. And I think that he he had his mind in the right place. He just did it at the wrong time. And there's all this other BS surrounding it. Now, it would have been a lot more impactful if, like you said, Anakin was 14 years old, had been found in the beginning of the movie, and Qui-Gon, who was starting to teach him the ways of the Force, was killed in the first third of the movie, then forcing Anakin to grow up a little bit more and work with Obi-Wan to find Darth Maul and defeat Darth Maul. But that's not how he played it. He played it as if Psycho was a six-hour-long movie and killed off his main character at the end of the first two hours rather than 32 minutes in or whatever. Janet Lee dies in Psycho. And right. I think he was trying to be right, the I best filmmaker in the, of any generation, Alfred Hitchcock, and George Lucas just is not... Alfred Hitchcock. He he doesn't have the nuance. He doesn't have the the camera vision. He doesn't have the the screenwriting ability to do it. And we were supposed to feel sad and sorry and and hurt that Qui Gon Jinn died. This character that we were following and who was the moral compass of the Jedi for us, who was challenging the Jedi Order for us. And then we then have to switch gears at the end of the movie. And now Obi Wan, who is sticking to the letter of the Jedi Code. And not making us question anything about the Jedi Code has to now raise Anakin, quote-unquote raise. So then it seems that in Attack of the Clones, when we start following Obi-Wan and Anakin, Anakin is questioning the Jedi Order like Qui-Gon did. So are we supposed to believe that Anakin questioning the Jedi Order is right? Or is he wrong and we should be listening to Obi-Wan because Anakin eventually falls to the dark side? I think one quotable line from The Phantom Menace was uh, from Yoda. Uh, when he was analyzing whether or not Anakin should be trained. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Mm -hmm. I actually think that phrase needed one more part to it, and I'd even add it to it, and I wouldn't replace a part, but I think it should be sadness leads to fear, 
fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. If we could have seen more of an empathetic Anakin in The Phantom Menace instead of this yahooing, pod racing, droid federation ship accidentally blowing up kid yeah if we would have felt bad see that's why i think a 14 year old making a choice to leave his mom making a maybe a bad choice for the right reason is something you can identify with rather than just this little boy who's scared but a little boy that you feel because Honestly, I didn't feel anything for Anakin at this point, right? Except confusion at like, how does he become Vader? Yeah, he seems way too happy and accidentally bumbling through <laughs> life at that point, and he had nothing to be mad about. So now to move ahead into the trilogy, the to use the improv analogy again, the yes ending of Episode Two now has to go. Okay, well. Let's skip ahead those seven, eight years and get Anakin to an interesting level and start you where we should have started in the first place. Yeah. At that point, if it had started that way, the bickering between Anakin and Obi-Wan would have been welcome because it would have showed their relationship from the start. It would have been a different launching off point. Exactly. You could have had them bicker a couple times in The Phantom Menace, and Qui-Gon could have been the voice of, hey, 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 guys, calm them down. But then when Qui-Gon dies at the end, and now Obi-Wan is like, are you kidding me? Now I've got to train this kid that I've been arguing with that's annoying the heck out of me? That at least now leads to why maybe later on Sure, they become friends, and Anakin understands what he's got to do, but maybe that initial rooted dislike right. could have surfaced again, and maybe that was always there. But instead, it's like, why did this little kid all of a sudden, years later, feel like Obi-Wan's mm-hmm. holding me back? Again, he's telling us Obi-Wan. He didn't show us that. Yeah. Episode two should have started with them on some planet doing some mission, and Anakin clearly not listening to Obi-Wan, it doesn't start that way. It starts off with Jango Fett sending a bounty hunter to go kill Padme, but then follows that bounty hunter to make sure that... J- Why is a bounty hunter sending another bounty hunter know. to do a bounty? Again, the levels of confusion here make no sense. It should have just been Jango Fett from the get-go trying to kill Padme. But then they wouldn't have had that awesome chase scene through this complete CGI city to show off all the technology that George Lucas had at his fingertips. Aha, see, that's where you might think we don't get a chase, Phil. However, the way I have rewritten episode two, we still get that chase. (laughs) Okay, let's hear it. And I correct a little bit of an error, in my opinion, about why Anakin and Padme are together. Anakin and Padme, right from the get-go... Padme says, I don't like the way you look at me. Anakin says, she doesn't want me watching her sleep. It makes her uncomfortable. So we've already established (laughs) that he's creepy. He's creepy. So then when it does come time to, hey, we got to send her off planet. Oh, what Jedi should we send with her? Oh, how about the one that she keeps saying is creeping her out? (laughs) That did not seem like a smart choice to me. And it doesn't seem like something uh, Padme would have agreed with. How many sexual harassment claims have I filed against this Jedi? Exactly. Right? You can't send a female Jedi with me? You you can't send uh, 
Kit Fisto with me? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take Plukoon. Exactly. What about Yaddle? Take get send Yaddle. <laughs> Anybody but the weirdo that I don't like looking at me. So <laughs> so I always felt like that didn't make sense to me. And yes, people would maybe argue that it was Palpatine pulling the strings to make that happen. But here's what I think he should have done. Clear up the whole bounty hunter confusion with Django Fett hiring another bounty hunter to go do the bounty. You just have Django do it, but he gets thwarted. Anakin needs to grab Padme and escape from Coruscant, pursued by Django Fett to some degree. And that's where maybe Obi-Wan could tangle with Django Fett, get some clue to the clones, which we'll get into all that later. But Mm -hmm. rather than Django Fett shooting a dart that's marked and traceable. It's, Django Fett just seems smarter than that to me. Not to George. Not to George. But anyway, at least in that point, Padme and Anakin could have been forced to be together the same way Han and Leia were forced to be together in Empire. Han was trying to evacuate Hoth. Oh, transport, this is Solo. I can't get to you. I'll get her out on the Falcon. This could have been a similar thing. This still rhymes in Lucas's rhymy Star Wars world where... Anakin had to grab Padme, get out of there, light speed away, and then, Anakin, where are you? Oh, we had to leave, blah, 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 because of this. Are you okay? Yes. Well, what do you do? Well, she's not comfortable going back to Coruscant. What she want to do? She wants to go to Naboo. Go with her protector. Then it could have been the same kind of grudging relationship. And, hey, you know, over the course of a couple days, oh, this guy isn't so bad. And I'll put on my <laughs> sexy choker, and we can have a fireplace dinner. He's going to float a pear at me. He can. I was just going to say he can float a pear at me, and <laughs> float a pear at me, and I'll follow you anywhere. <laughs> Let's wrestle in the high grass and look at these weird CGI alien cows. I I just feel like that was at least a little bit cleaner. Just. And that's, and that's my problem with all of these, is there's so much stuff that was told to us. They're clunky. Yes, it was told to us. It was not shown to us. And you could clean all of that up and make it great. But, and I think here is the problem. We already touched on it a little bit. Where Lucas wouldn't let certain properties be, uh, or parts of the property be written about or, or made into anything because he wanted to save that stuff. Similarly, he never wanted anything about Han Solo's backstory done because he always wanted to hang on to that and keep that in his back pocket for someday, which of course Disney has and is Disney's done something with it, but there's Mm -hmm. lots of those things. So it does lead to clunky storytelling when you get to a point and you say, well, we're just going to skip over this in the movie. We're going to mention that Sifo-Dyas went and created the clone army. Nobody's going to know who Sifo-Dyas is, but we're going to write a novel about it. Yeah. You shouldn't have to do homework. That's the way they filled in so much. Exactly. Though. They've always filled in a lot of their storytelling through their books. And you're right. We shouldn't be forced to read. It just seems like when you deliberately write it to fill in the blanks later, that's that's where you run into problems. And that's where you start cutting corners on your storytelling experience. So a final thought on Attack of the Clones is just the one thing that I will say Lucas tried to do right, maybe, and maybe it was inadvertently trying to do it right. Anakin is just such a whiny baby. His whole sand, it's coarse and rough and get everywhere, I hate it. Like I understand the reasoning as to why he hates sand, but 
he just cries and whines about everything, which maybe Lucas was trying to write him like he wrote Luke, because Luke in Star Wars was a whiny, crying baby. So much so that I just watched Star Wars A New Hope with my five-year-old daughter to introduce her to the Star Wars original trilogy. And the whole time she talked about the man Han Solo and the princess Leia, but she wouldn't stop calling Luke the boy. And I think it's just because he whined all the time. I don't know if Lucas was trying to draw parallels between a father and son, or if he just doesn't know how to write strong young men. Well, and that's where you would have been better served getting all of that out as a 14-year-old Anakin with the same actor in the first movie. Then in the second movie, turn that whininess that you saw in the first one into a little bit more of an edge. Like, I think there is a way to complain about where you grew up, but have a more jaded anger towards it instead of whining about it. And I think that's what he missed. And to make an overall point about these movies that I just, you made me think of it when you said, no, there's a princess. He's the Han Solo. He's the boy. There was no Han Solo character in these movies. This, this movie needed the roguish, charming character. Right. We can't understand what it's like to have a power like that where we can float things and fight with lightsabers and all that. Han Solo grounded you to this. Han Solo gave you the, you know, I've been to one end of this galaxy to the other and there's nothing make me believe in an all-powerful force that controls my destiny. It's a bunch of simple tricks and nonsense. See, that's giving us that opposite side of all of this fantasy that we're watching. Han Solo's likable because he's like us. He's a grounded character who will give a little cynicism and some snark where it's deserved. But this movie kind of took itself way too seriously with even Samuel Jackson's Mace Windu character. His speech was so stilted and medieval sounding. The only time Samuel Jackson is boring. For sure. And... And again, you, we know the kind of talent Sam Jackson has. So you, yep. you can only point at the script and the direction when you say, well, why was it bad? Well, it just – it wasn't the actor's fault. I guess that's to take it back to right. all, the, all the stuff that Ahmad Best and Jake Lloyd received. That yep. it, it wasn't their fault. They were doing what they were told. Sam Jackson had to have been doing what he was told. Otherwise, there's no way he would have – made those choices. I would love to see a Disney era Mace Windu movie where they get a good writer and a good director to really dive into Mace Windu's past and show Sam Jackson just for the badass he is. You know, there was a rumor. freaking awesome purple lights. There was rumor, but I don't know that that's happening. Well, there was rumor that he survived the fallout of the window. No, I didn't know that. Yes, we'd, we'd already seen Anakin do that crazy dive through all of that traffic, you know? Mm -hmm. And at that point, Mace had only really, he had his hand cut off. Sure. Didn't feel great. I think he got hit with a little lightning when he got pushed out the window, but I don't think any of that would have been enough to like fully knock him out of the game that he couldn't have done a forced descent and somehow managed to save himself. Uh, But Hmm. they talked about that, that, that there might've been a Mace window appearance in the new movies. Well, there was an appearance, his voice. Well, right. Since we've just started to touch on Sam Jackson, which led us into Revenge of the Sith, let's let's head into Revenge of the Sith now. So uh, Revenge of the Sith probably starts 
Right. And I just think about how you're talking about these movies and how Attack of the Clones is where Anakin should have started. Revenge of the Sith is where Attack of the Clones should have started, right? It's it's Obi-Wan and Anakin working together to save who we know is the bad guy. And they're bickering, but they're still working together, you know? And you see Anakin start to turn um, by the, the murder of, um, what's his name? Count Dooku. Count Dooku. There you go. And I think they could have expanded so much more in a, a second movie where that's where it starts because you don't need this one movie to show his fall. You needed to show his fall through all three films. And all you do is really show it in the third movie. Mm-hmm. In, in five minutes. <laughs> right. Right. It's It's... Really, it does a disservice to the character of Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker by showing how he is just so manipulated in, like you said, five minutes. Um, And his love for Padme and the fact that they're having a kid, none of that seems, it doesn't seem like it's earned. No, and it's, it's because the movie started in the wrong place. The Phantom Menace started in the wrong place. Right, we lost 10 years. I think also, to completely agree with that, Anakin should have killed Count Dooku in the second film and covered it up. Interesting. That shows more of a murderous intent because they get, we got him butchering sand people because his mom died. That was savage, but it was also emotional. I think a calculated Anakin weighing life and death in his own hands, making the own his own choice. I understand why they had Palpatine say, do it. I don't know why he had to say it the way he said it. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it would have been a more calculated, cold-blooded, Darth Vader-y Anakin to kill Dooku completely out of Jedi code and then like, wah, throwing his body and then Obi-Wan pops up, Anakin, what happened? Where's Dooku? The thing fell on him and he's gone. Yeah, but I mean, Eric, if if that happened, we wouldn't have had Yoda with a lightsaber, which is what everybody cheered about when Yoda walked in and Anakin and Obi-Wan were knocked out unconscious, you know? Uh, We had to see Yoda fight him. (laughs) We would have seen Yoda and his lightsaber in the third one then. They should have saved Yoda for the third movie to fight Palpatine. He shouldn't have fought Dooku. He shouldn't have said, my old apprentice. Yeah. It, it, they shouldn't have done that. You're right. Anakin should have gotten his arm cut off, and then he should have gotten angry and killed Dooku in cold blood because of that. Right. And, and, and save, because then when we do see Yoda fight Palpatine in Sith, it first of all, it's a meaningless battle because you know neither one of them dies. Right. They obviously both survive. So why did I care to watch five to seven minutes of CGI when I knew what the outcome was before the battle even started? Yep. At least if you would have shown me Yoda using a lightsaber in the third movie against Palpatine, then I would have at least had that thrill of, holy smokes, look at Yoda go. Yeah. Even though I knew where it was going, 
I would still have at least been in awe of seeing Yoda do that. So then the battle itself would have meant something to me because it was new and it was fresh and it's something I've always been curious about. But but instead, all I got in the second or the third film was Yoda using a lightsaber part two. And I really know this is going anywhere. So, right. right. I, I, you know, something that always bothered me about the whole prequel era film series is, and, and maybe I'm just nitpicky or maybe it's been explained and I'm just still picking my nits and don't know it, but R2D2 and C3PO are there for everything. In Attack of the Clones, C-3PO and R2-D2 go into the facility, and I understand they say, wipe this droid's memory about C-3PO, but they never say it about R2. Does R2 also get his memory wiped, and where do his little um, boosters go where he can fly around? Like, I just don't understand what happens with those two characters and how they're retrofitted so harshly into the, the series. I thought they were fit in fine. Um, I thought that, yes, R2-D2 retroactively did some things in the prequels that make you question a couple scenes in the original trilogy, like why didn't he use his booster jets to fly off of the X-Wing onto the land mm-hmm. on Dagobah? Uh, why didn't well, he? Well, he obviously doesn't do- have them anymore, right? Um, and that, that's all that needed to be explained. Like maybe in three, they get damaged. And so, you know, it, it's just little side things like that. Like Darth Vader is hanging out and sees C-3PO, but doesn't ever recognize, Hey, that's the droid I built. Uh, or Obi-Wan has spent how many years 10 years with C-3PO and R2-D2. And when they see him on Tatooine, he says, I don't remember owning any droid. But he's he knows both of those characters. Sure. And it's never explicitly said that R2 gets his memory wiped either. So you'd think when 3PO starts talking to him the first time, and it's like, oh, hello, who are you? And mm-hmm. he's like, remember, we just did all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And in the newest movies, we know that R2's backing up C-3PO's memory, so he should have been backing it up the whole time. Right. So even correcting the line to say, have these droids, memories, plural, erased, makes more sense. Um, And I wouldn't even say it's obvious. And that's, again, the problem when you're trying to fit puzzle pieces together when the puzzles were made in different eras I wouldn't even say that R2 doesn't have them because I'm given no evidence that he doesn't have them. Unless I was supposed to have read a book, The Adventures (laughs) of R2-D2 and When He Loses His Rocket Jets. (laughs) That would be a good book, by the way. It's pretty short. It would fit in nicely with the Ewok adventure. It's basically when they both go to get their memories erased. The mechanic is like, hey, you want me to take these booster jets off too? <laughs> yeah. You want me to take them off for you, hey, boss? Yeah, take take the booster jets off too while you're at it. Just get those out of there. Because clearly they weren't erasing any memories because he still had, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope in his memory banks. So does any of this ruin my childhood? Well, there was a documentary, The Trial of George Lucas. Have you seen this one? I have not seen it. And they basically 
call Lucas to task for the prequels. And um, ultimately, if I were the judge or even the jury in that, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I find him innocent of any childhood ruining charges here. I find him guilty on counts that he wasn't necessarily accused of, which is improper technique in storytelling and filmmaking. It it wasn't just making characters do things that these characters wouldn't do because I saw these characters do these other things and it doesn't make sense for these characters to do these things. It's the basic tenets of storytelling and focus and the rise of action and the drama to draw people in and care about people. You need to tell the audience which way to go by showing them which way to go. Ah, you thought I caught myself there, huh? (laughs) That's what I've been saying. You got to show us, not tell us. But when he's telling us the story, he's skipping so many steps because he knows he's got to make things fit. And in that effort to give us characters we might care about that could have some drama, like Mace Windu and anybody who has not survived into A New Hope, he's he's just done a poor job of connecting yep. all the dots yep yeah there's there's so many so many more things we're going to wrap up but there's so many more things that we should talk about and maybe we do another episode where we we get more a little more granular but i mean dying of a broken heart and anakin screaming i hate you and obi-wan saying you you were my brother i mean none of that is earned and it's no. just so it's so woefully written not even poorly written woefully written and and woefully executed that it's hard to love it and to go to my my side of did this ruin my childhood uh no it didn't ruin my childhood because i i do still find things that i like in everything that i watch it could be the worst movie ever made and i'll still be like oh that was a cool one scene so it was worth my time and I will say that I don't love A Phantom Menace. In fact, it is my least favorite Star Wars movie of all time if I were to rank them, which we will do on another podcast. But um, Attack of the Clones is towards the bottom also, and Revenge of the Sith is is towards the bottom but more towards the middle. And I'm I'm glad to say that there are certain aspects of Revenge of the Sith that were done well enough that I will give it more of a pass especially with the Clone Wars TV show and Dave Filoni helping to pick up a lot of those pieces. Dave Filoni went to George Lucas and said, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. And George gave him a couple tips and a couple insights into how the characters would truly act, which Dave then took and made something really special. If some of you out there haven't watched the Clone Wars series, Please do. Not every episode is necessary to understand what happens between Attack of the Clones and then to appreciate Revenge of the Sith, but you can find plenty of articles online about which episodes to watch that truly do connect dots, and um, there there are some of the best Star Wars stories told in the Clone Wars TV show, which make Revenge of the Sith such a better film. So I will say that, you know, you shouldn't have to watch something to then appreciate this something, just like we said about books. You shouldn't have to read books to appreciate the full story. But in this case, I would definitely say check out Clone Wars to then watch Revenge of the Sith and appreciate more of it. 
um, some of the best lightsaber battles that we've ever seen on film too are in Revenge of the Sith, which is is great. I think that really has something going for it because, like I said before, I love saber porn, and uh, Revenge of the Sith's Obi Wan and Anakin battle is just amazing. If I had to pick three moments, one from each film to salvage them for me mentally and make them worth watching again, uh, it would have to be the music of Duel of the Fates mm. while Maul and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are going at it. That was incredible. Yep. yep. Um, episode two, I think the Jango Fett, Obi-Wan Kenobi fight was really, really good. And I probably put a second moment in there, which is literally a moment, but seeing all the Jedi together at once like that in the Geonosis arena, that was a pretty darn cool moment for me, a literal moment. Yeah, for sure. And then in the third one, save for some terrible dialogue, uh, I really love the first whatever it is, 15, 20 minutes of the rescue of Palpatine to watch. You finally get to see Anakin who Obi-Wan said, your father is the best star pilot in the galaxy. Well, we really hadn't seen him do much star piloting at that point. And, and we finally get to see him do it. And when you do get to see him do it, it, it is incredible. It was very good piloting. And I'm like, okay, that is why he's the, best star pilot in the galaxy mm-hmm. not that every line from the old trilogy has to be explained in the new ones and i think that's another point we should discuss sometime is where the trade-off is between creating something new adding midichlorians which goes against what obi-wan and yoda darty said versus why didn't r2d2 have booster jets in the second movie right. he had or in the second trilogy he had him in the first we could maybe do a point-by-point comparison of things that were over-explained in the first ones to match the original trilogy versus people who called out things in the original trilogy that didn't match up. Yep. yep. We should. Well, we can. Yeah, and we will. We will! <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think with that, we should uh, wrap up and and uh, thank everybody for listening. So thank you all for listening in to our hour-long discussion of star wars the prequel era films these movies definitely didn't ruin our childhood but they ruined many others and so we're sorry to those that have had their childhoods ruined by george lucas and the prequel era films eric tell the people at home where they can find you uh you can actually hear me on my other podcast everything anything and nothing really available on youtube itunes podbean wherever podcasts are sold but it's free that's everything, anything, and nothing really. And I'm Phil Durasmo, and you can follow me at Phil Demo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, anywhere where your social medias are sold. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that this podcast has not ruined your childhood. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. <laughs>